Welcome to the OSMA Talks podcast series, hosted by Oklahoma State Medical Association President, Dr. Larry Bookman, MD. Welcome, everybody. We have Representative John Eccles with us today. He is the majority floor leader of the House of Representatives for the state of Oklahoma. We've just gone through a big snow. I'm sure things are quite hot at the legislature, having gone through the first week. You want to talk about what's happening at the legislature to start with, and then we'll get into specific questions. Absolutely, Doctor, and thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to this, and uh, I, I really enjoy uh, talking about the stuff that's important to the House of Medicine, and I enjoy talking to you. And we're going to talk about some other stuff today, which will be kind of fun, some other political stuff. But yeah, the first week went well. I, I jokingly have said you can't have a, a great entire legislative session till you have a good first week. So we've got that down. Um, it was a little chaotic with the snow day. I mean, it's Oklahoma. I literally set up a projector outside to watch the Super Bowl at my house. And had a snow day four days later. And uh, those of us from Oklahoma know that's just how it goes. Uh, but it was a great first week. And we it, it, uh, it, the legislature is off to a good start. Well, let's start off by talking about uh, just scope of practice bills. Um, the legislature has over 2,000 bills to go through. We know not all of those will be heard. But several of them are scope of practice. A survey was done in 2018 that showed about 88% of Oklahomans surveyed were in favor of a doctor leading the healthcare team. We now have bills that would make uh, nurse anesthetists into nurse anesthesiologists. We have bills that would make psychologists into prescriptive authority doctors. We have bills that would allow pharmacists to become primary care physicians, basically. What's your opinion of these bills? Are they going to move forward? Is there support? Yeah, so I can give my general opinion on those. My general opinion is you, you need additional medicine through, through schooling and not through legislation. If you want to be able to do additional things, that's where you need to go. You and I have talked about the nurse anesthetist issue. I'm, I'm really hoping uh, there's going to be some type of an agreement there, uh, but that bill's not moving forward while everybody's still talking and everybody's working um, you know, the, the prescriptive authority issues, we don't need additional prescriptive authority in Oklahoma. We are kicking around. It's funny. This is the first time I've, I've said this literally ever. So I'll say it on your podcast. There are those of us kicking around a little bit. We had a, we had a pro-life bill on the board on Thursday. And as part of that, it created some new discussions as to whether or not, uh, we should make birth control more accessible uh, other states have done that a little easier pharmaceutically. We may uh, letting pharmacists do that. So I want to be careful. That idea is getting kicked around. There's not a bill there, uh, but it's part of, you know, one of the ideas if uh, me being very, very pro-life, but also if you want to lower abortion, uh, one of the ways to do that is have birth control be far more accessible. But I think that's a very different deal than giving prescriptive authority to psychiatrists or than uh, full-blown prescriptive authority to pharmacists. I don't see a lot of those going very far this legislative session. I, I don't I don't think it lines up with our general philosophy. Um, one of the things I do think, though, that I want to commend you on, doctor, because I was telling a constituent the other day, um, I feel like the medical arts in general, and then I'll talk about doctors, are doing a good job collaborating. 
and whether that's um, anyone on site. And then you have obviously the, the practice of medicine, which is just physicians, uh, is doing a really good job. But really, you want those, those issues handled by you guys, not by us. The legislature is not experts. Uh, we need the groups to get together and, and figure out how. And that really is going well. And frankly, as long as that's going well, I don't know why there's a need to push anything else that's not agreed to. I'm happy to uh, at least inform you. I actually have in my briefcase with me uh, an agreement with the nurse anesthetist that uh, hopefully all are going to sign off on today. So um, hopefully there won't be any changes and uh, we can move forward with that. I, I can tell you, doctor, if there's an agreement there, that's that's something I'm going to want to enforce because we don't need the legislature telling when the nurse anesthetist and the anesthesiologists um, and, and boy, talk, talk about caught between a rock and a hard place. My backdoor neighbor and my son's best friend's father is an anesthesiologist and the nurse anesthetist have been very big supporters of mine. And I've always said the same thing, which is let's get everybody together. Don't let the legislature tell us what to do because we don't know what we're doing on that. So, anyway. Well, I, I'm very happy and proud that we've, I think, come to a uh, compromise and uh, can move forward now. Also, I'd want to correct one thing that you said when you said give psychiatrists prescriptive authority. It's psychologists. I meant psychologists. That's that was right. just a brain. Thank That's you. Right. The and psychiatrists it, of this uh, state might be uh, a little upset over boy, that. Boy, and I work with about three of them. Dr. Lewis, I'm incredibly apologetic. That was not on purpose. <laughs> so one of the things that uh, I know the uh, speaker spoke about today was about compacts and there is a bill about compacts and and uh, certainly the state medical association has some uh, concerns over compacts and the rules that would apply because they would not have to necessarily follow the rules of oklahoma um, we need certainly to have uh, the physicians medical associations of this state involved before support for the compacts outside of what we already have, uh, goes forward. I think that there's some real concerns that need to be brought up and corrected before anything uh, uh, on the compacts goes into effect. You know, being in, in the legislature in Oklahoma, it's, it the compact issue gets complicated because we have these just incredible tribal partners. So I want to start with that. They, and they truly are. The, our tribal partners we have in Oklahoma, we are blessed to have them. They are economic drivers um, they are committed to the state of Oklahoma. Uh, if you're, I, I have incredibly close relationships with the Chickasaw Nation, the Choctaw Nation. I consider them very close friends. My one of my my classmates, Justin Wood, is the chief of the Second Fox Nation, and and I understand the issue of sovereignty and that, that that they have that. But it also gets complicated when you have these sovereign nations inside the state of Oklahoma, and. What I have found, and I think this is dovetailing on exactly what you said, what I have always found when we sit everybody at the table with our tribal friends on whatever the issue is, they have been incredibly reasonable and very easy to cut a deal. So if we're doing anything dealing with medicine, what I know is our tribal friends, as long as we approach them as friends, as co-laborers, to use a biblical word, all of us wanting what's best for the state of Oklahoma, and we bring in those concerns. We bring in the medical community, not the legislators, because again, you're going to hear me say this a lot, not the legislators, because that's not what we do. We bring in the medical community. I'm very confident 
we will be able to come up with a compromise because that's just always been my experience that they they've been reasonable they've been great state actors where i've where i've seen it gone bad is where either uh they they feel they have not been approached uh with the respect that they deserve and they do deserve it or where on the other side of the table let's say on the non-tribal side of the table we haven't gone with the right experts so where we would mess up is if we're doing something with compacts we need to go in with the House of Medicine. They are saying, here's how we here's how we create this level playing field. And I think if we did it that way, whatever the issue is, we can find a way to resolve it. Yeah, and the compacts I was specifically meaning were the nursing compacts and the doctor compacts where uh, nurses from other states could practice in Oklahoma without getting licensure here. Uh, we'd have a licensure compact that would allow them, say, to come from Utah to Oklahoma um, and immediately be licensed and using the rules of Utah. So uh, certainly the tribal compacts, I agree with everything you said, and, and they are vital to the state of Oklahoma. But the medical compacts for nurses, physicians, etc., need to be closely examined before they're just arbitrarily approved. Now, that's funny. When you hear compacts this session, I immediately go to the tribes. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but I, I agree with that too. I, I think... We all want inner. Um, we all want the ability to to open up medicine to be able to practice across state lines as best we can. Whether you're talking about the practice of medicine uh, for physicians or what I, because I don't have a better way to call it, but just the, the medical arts in general, um, where you're nursing and other people and other and and uh, uh, other levels of care. I think we need to find a way to open those up as best we can. But I do agree with you. What we don't want to have happen, and what has happened, the nurse, specifically in nursing, the nursing board has brought to me, we've opened it up too much, and we would have bad providers that would get run out of their home state and then come over here. We don't want that with nurses. We don't want that with doctors. What we, what we don't want is the leftovers. We want uh, – I've got a constituent, Dr. Cook, who, uh, who was licensed in several states and, and goes back and forth in that. We want to make that as easy as possible. But you're right. We need the experts there to say, here's how you get the good, but you don't end up taking the trash that nobody else wants because you have a bad system. And, and as we said, starting out, we know the majority of Oklahomans want physicians at the head of their health care team. So we need to always keep that in mind whenever we're trying to establish, especially rural medicine. We want it to be at the same level that the metropolitan areas are. Um, we need to recruit more physicians. We need to recruit good physicians. And certainly the State Medical Association has um, supported and put its money up for that where we uh, have a proposition that we will actually put money up to pay off the debt of a primary care physician. And we've now included surgeons in that in rural Oklahoma. And we've partnered with TSET and others um, to put physicians in Guyman and in Idabel, and we're looking for other physicians in other small communities. So uh, we all agree that we need to improve rural health, but we want to do it with good physicians. That's right. And we appreciate you doing that too. Somebody representing the state that a private entity would, who didn't have to do that, you did it because you care about the state of Oklahoma. Uh, and you deserve credit and thanks for that. So you definitely have it for me. Well, we appreciate that. And we're going to get into now the the big gorilla this this session, um, and that the governor presented his state of the state. 
um, his health care plan using uh, the Healthy Adult Opportunity Block Grants. Um, how does the legislature feel about what he presented, and is it in accordance with him, or are you going to have your own plan? So, so I've been on record saying that block grants just aren't going to work. So I've got to eat those words and say, uh, in that regard, way to go, Governor Stitt. I didn't think he could get it done. Uh, the fact that you're, you do the press conference with CMS is a pretty good indication that they're going to re- approve it. Um, so then the question is, as I said right after State of the State, the devil's in the details. So uh, as to a block grant Medicaid system, um, if the if the question is could could I be for that? Absolutely. Is there is there a block grant system that I could be for? Absolutely, especially one that um, he finds savings through. Uh, if he could if he could show what he says he can show, which is savings through administrator costs that then pass additional payments down to the provider level, which is what I've always wanted, and then the state could receive fifty percent of those savings of the block grant system. I could absolutely be in favor of that. Uh, I'm not going to be in favor of that if it's through rationing of care or if it's through uh, the old HMO style. Uh, that's not something that I can get on board with. But I, I think I'm going to get – at the moment, I am. I would describe myself as cautiously very excited. Um, if there is a plan that the, go- that the governor can get the legislature can get behind, I think we pass it. Uh, and then I think the citizens, they're still going to have a vote for straight up Medicaid expansion. So that's still coming. Um, but I th- I've said for a while we need to find a way to get something that can pass the legislature that can take the federal dollars. Because I-, I was against the Affordable Care Act. I think it was a bad idea. But right now, Medicaid expansion is very much like nuclear weapons. I would be happy if nobody had them, but they do. And as long as they do, the United States should have them. Uh, us not expanding at this point and us not taking the federal dollars at this point just doesn't make financial sense. I mean, that it's like saying we're going to, we're going to send back the road dollars because we don't want to make the drinking age 21. So, so we're going to send our federal rose dollars back. We're not going to do that. Um, so I'm cautiously very optimistic that there's a plan that can be worked out that can pass the legislature, uh, where we take those federal dollars either way. And then the citizens will get a chance to vote and decide if they want to do it another way. And, and certainly it's going to take the legislature getting behind one plan to even have a chance to convince the voters to accept a legislative uh, uh, suggestion um, versus going with state question 802. Um, I think it's important that the people of Oklahoma understand that state question 802 would be constitutionally amending our state constitution and would be unable to be changed by the governor by executive order or any other. So it, it, there's a big difference there and that's going to be important for people to understand. Boy, that's such a great point. And in the constitutional cuts both ways, there's one side that says the great way thing about the constitutional is it could never go away. There's another side that says the bad thing about constitutional is it could never go away. Um, I, I always think statutory is a better way to do things. Um, but I've said it from the beginning. This is, uh, the legislature hates that I do this. Three years ago, I said that you can judge the quality of the legislative session by whether or not we get a teacher pay raise done. So they weren't super happy when I came out before we had – luckily, we got it done and called all of session a failure at the beginning if we didn't get that done. I mean, at this point, I, I would say 
we need to offer a legislative solution for health care. We need to offer it. We need to pass it. We need to say, here's what we could be for, and we need to say, here's how we would pay for it. So that's the other downside of the state question. There's no money in that state question. There's no money to pay for it. So once we pass it, pass a pay for, then it's up to the citizens. And if they like our solution better, then they can go with that. And if they want the state question in the in the Constitution. But, but boy, I would tell you, it, it, doing something on health care this year, it's almost like your pass-fail grade. I'm not saying we get an A if we, if we get it done, but it's – we just got to. We got to send something and say, citizens, here's an alternative. Um, it's just good government, and that, and that's really a lot of what the legislature is going to be graded on this year. Absolutely, I agree with that. We we have to increase our federal dollars um, and maximizing federal dollars. However, we do it. If the legislature and the governor aren't able to agree and present a plan to the voters, then you know the voters are going to vote for the state question. But we've got to maximize our federal dollars. We've lost billions of dollars over the past 10 years uh, by not having accepted federal money. Um, the, the I was going to bring up paying for whatever the plan is. The governor has said that he wants to use shop money, increasing that to 4%. He wants to use some T-set money. And then with mental health savings, because mental health would be a part of this, so the state wouldn't have to pay for that, um, all of that would go into paying for it, that it would not be on the provider's backs to pay. Um, You want to talk about what shop is, what TSET is, and what you feel about are the providers going to be supported? Yeah, that's great. And, and And even I'll go into why the governor chose those three things. Uh, Two, the savings. Uh, Obviously, the savings is kind of self-explanatory. Additional federal funding will come down for our mental health. Uh, T-SET was voted on during the tobacco settlement. That's a tobacco settlement trust. Uh, Different states did different things with their T-SET dollars. We created a smoking cessation constitutional fund. Um, Right now, it has kind of moved away to that, and it does a lot of just general health initiatives, uh, drink more water, uh, exercise more, stuff like that. What he would like to do, in, and I would be supportive of this, is take uh, not the corpus. I, d- I don't think we should ever touch the corpus of TSET. We are, we are blessed to have essentially an endowment, and we owe that to future generations of Oklahomans not to touch. But to take some of the extra and to pump that into the extra cost, because we're looking at, depending upon who you ask, Medicaid expansion is going to be between three hundred and five hundred million dollars, depending upon how it all shakes out in the end, and that's on the state side. Now, the good news is that means we're going to get a ton of federal money pumped back into our economy, but we still got to pay that. So you do those, and then on the um, shop, that we are authorized. The reason he went the shop route because of state question six forty. Any additional tax requires three quarters vote of the legislature. While after two special sessions and two regular sessions and two of some of the most awful years for the state, we did finally reach an agreement that we could get that. I don't think anybody sees thinks lightning's going to strike twice. So on the shop fee, we are authorized to take up to 4%. That is a tax that is added on to your hospital stays. And right now we're at 
one point. We're not taking the full four, whatever it is, two point two something. Point, yeah. Two, yeah, okay. So what we would do is then uh, authorize the taking of that entire amount on hospital stays and pump that in. That's because you really have two options. You find three options. You find money somewhere, you cut the budget, or you cut providers. Nobody wants to cut providers. That's just not that's not a palatable solution right now while we're trying to increase access to care. And when somebody says cut the budget, understand what they're saying is cut common education, cut DOC, cut the Department of Health, cut Medicare, because that's where all, that's where ninety seven percent of the money is in the top twelve agencies. So when they say cut the budget. Uh, one-third of the budget is common education. That's one of the downsides of the of the state question the way it is going into the Constitution with no way to pay for it. There's no methodology by which to get the money. Um, those three options put, put forth by the governor. Now, there, now, there's a fourth one in there, too, though. The governor is also asking for a very small portion on those that are capable to pay some type of a premium in there. Um, so there is a small portion – and he's likely to ask for some type of a copay. We're talking about like a dollar every time you go see a physician. It obviously would not apply at emergency rooms because of Imtala. But those things would bring in enough that I don't think there would be cuts to physician reimbursements. And as a matter of fact, I think the hospitals where they're not going to like the 4% shop are going to be more than taken care of. Because when we expand, no matter how we do, their uncompensated care is going to go down. So as I've told the hospitals before, I think they're big winners in this plan, not big losers, even if we have to increase it. I think that's probably, frankly, if Governor Stitt's plan, yes, they can. it can be knocked because it's new. You know, if you like it, you call it innovative. If you don't, you call it risky. But at least he's offered a pay for like he's offered a, here's how we're going to pay for it. The biggest knock I have on the state question is there's no pay for. There's no there's no way to pay for it. So um, I'm proud of him on that. And that's going to create some hard votes on my caucus. They're going to have to decide because what a politician wants to say is, I want all the federal government and don't look at how I'm going to pay for it. Don't, don't look over here. They're going to they're going to they're going to quietly cut provider rates. They're going to quietly cut the budget. But the reality is those are not good options. So I'm hoping we will have the courage to cast hard votes and then go back to our constituents and say, no, that was not my goal was not to increase uh, a fee that you pay or a tax that you pay when you go to the hospitals. But this is what we had to do in order to pay for providing additional health care throughout the state of Oklahoma. And in the aggregate, those citizens are better. I mean, and, and overall, more people will have health care coverage, which leads to healthier outcomes, which, you know, this vicious cycle of, of the fewer people that have coverage, the worse outcomes you have, and the more expensive insurance comes in theory, the more people you get on coverage, better outcomes you have, the less expensive insurance goes. So, and certainly other States that have accepted Medicaid expansion in any form, um, have shown better outcomes. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Kentucky was one of the first that actually had a good study showing, uh, better outcomes in the realm of GI medicine, which is what I certainly look at, uh, but other states have shown better outcomes uh, by accepting federal dollars, and Oklahoma needs those funds. Um, the plan that the governor has proposed is similar to the Indiana plan with uh, a contribution by the participants, whether it be small 
um, as well as a work requirement. Can you get into any of the details of what you mean by a work requirement or participating in community service? Yeah, that's right. So when we talk about a work requirement, it's important to note we're not talking about the disabled or the unable. So, uh, and as a matter of fact, the disabled are already, there is nothing in Medicaid expansion that it would expand additional coverage for the disabled. That's already existing there. And Oklahoma actually already has expanded above the federal minimum. Uh, we're higher than we, than we have to be. That what we're really talking about is the working poor. Um, we're talking about those that are not disabled, that are capable of work, but are below a certain income threshold. So one of the requirements that Indiana put on and that a lot of us are talking about putting on is for those that are capable of work and want to live on federal assistance, we want them to either work and then give them that assistance while they're doing it, or Indiana does it through various um, – uh, there are other ways to get it through volunteer or through other things. So if you can't find a job, you can volunteer. What we're saying is if you are capable – and able, we want you to give back to society. That, to me, is just as common sense. I can't believe this has become, but it is. This has become incredibly controversial. Now, it's normally controversial because people are dishonest. They they say, well, what about individuals that can't work? Well, they're already covered. That doesn't apply to them. Well, what about the disabled? I'm I'm the co-chair of the Disability Caucus. Like I, I could not care more about the disabled, and I've run bill after bill after bill. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about able-bodied individuals, mostly men, because mothers, pregnant mothers tend to be covered, some women, but the vast majority of expansion is going to be mostly able-bodied men who we are saying, if you are receiving free government health care and you're able-bodied and capable, we want you to give back to society. This makes all the sense in the world to me. And this should not be controversial, and it should be not should not be partisan. So, uh, Indiana Vice President Pence did something similar. Um, I think it's great, uh, and and I I think it's something that will uh, help the system too. By the way, I think continuing to stay active uh, does nothing but good things for your health. Well, I I agree, and I I think that uh, certainly those are controversial points, but. Uh, points well taken by you and and hopefully uh, that explanation i think it's also important to explain that we're basically going to end up with two systems we'll have the new people on the hao but we will still have those who are not able to work children etc who are on the old medicaid system so that we're not doing away with them People are afraid that somehow we're going to have people who are not covered because of the block grants, but there'll be two systems working in parallel versus the state question, which would lump everybody together. That's exactly right. And if you're listening to this program and you're currently on uh, Medicaid, nothing would change. Like there's absolutely nothing would change. It would be on an identical system. It is a secondary system. And doctor, I'm glad you pointed that out. I mean, we already carry, uh, we already cover children. We already cover the disabled. We already cover pregnant mothers. Um, we already cover uh, the, 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 and we cover the poor. This is moving to, boy, I wish I had these numbers, but I think 138% of the, uh, of the federal poverty line. We're already, I think 115, I'm within one or 2% of where we where we are what we're really talking about for for the most part is the working poor 
I mean, that which, by the way, deserves assistance. They deserve a hand up. They deserve the ability. I believe I'm a conservative Republican that believes in a social safety net. And I'm joined with the likes of people like Ronald Reagan, who I think would not we would argue is very conservative that believed in a social safety net. But I believe we need a social safety net that's trained to help help people get better and help help to get them off government assistance if they can, if they're physically able, and give them those extra opportunities. Bob Funk has a phrase I love. He calls it the dignity of work. Bob Funk, a great Oklahoman, started Express Personnel. Um, you know, one of his joys in life was finding people employment. So the scare tactics that say, you know, we're going to take this plan would take the disabled somehow uh, take them off because they're not working or children. Uh, this has nothing to do with that. This is if you are able-bodied, non-disabled, capable of work. And then again, if you can't find it, because I think we would follow the Indiana plan, you would have the ability to do it through community service. This should be non-controversial, but it is. It's 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 incredibly controversial, um, but it shouldn't be. And and that's one of the things I say because there are those that that don't want to take any money from the federal government. They want the uh, I I fire back at those too. So so I don't mind being controversial on both sides because um, let's not pretend like Republicans don't take some heat for the desire to take additional federal money. I just try to apply a common sense approach. The federal money's out there. Other states are getting it. We need to get it. But also common sense is. If you're capable of working and you're receiving taxpayer assistance, it's not wrong of the taxpayers to say, we would like you We would like you to help support that. We would like you to take that opportunity to better yourself. So I, it is controversial, but it's because we live in a weird world because neither one of those things should be controversial. One of the programs that um, in speaking with the governor that he's excited about but hasn't been put forth publicly – is what's called the Rural Health Initiative, uh, where the Fed federal government is going to roll out a program, hopefully by this spring, to help enhance rural health. Um, can you talk at all about that? So I, I cannot. I only can at high level um, for two reasons. One, this governor keeps things a little close to the vest. Uh, I get it. As somebody who's been, I've joked around the Capitol, we joke a little bit. The best way to kill an idea is to roll out a half-baked idea because nobody cares that it half-bakes. They immediately take shots at it, whether or not you're ready. I, I can say this. The governor and the Speaker of the House are both, the Speaker of the House, who is from Atoka, Oklahoma, are both very concerned about rural health care in the state of Oklahoma. Um, as rural Oklahoma goes, so goes the state. We cannot be a healthy state. And I'm just an Oklahoma City guy. I was born in Oklahoma City. I've lived my whole life in Oklahoma City, except for four years when I was down in Norman at OU. Other than that, I've lived in Oklahoma City. But as an Oklahoma City guy, the health of the state still greatly is, is tied to rural Oklahoma and keeping that as strong as possible. And the speaker has a great phrase. He says, having a hospital in your town means having a future. And not having a hospital means not having a future. And it, boy, it's such a powerful phrase the way he says it. And you think about it because what he means is people want to want to raise their families. They're going to start having kids. They're they're going to want to raise them near healthcare, or they're going to get older and they're going to want to retire near healthcare. 
Um, so that's where your future is. It's in your children, and it's in holding, holding on to your elderly and keeping them where, where they want to be. So as part of this initiative, you're going to see, and I know I'm light on specifics, but just really on the ideas, you're going to see a, a rollout and a renewed emphasis on how do we provide strong care in Oklahoma. And some of that, by the way, is going to include tax credits. Some of that is going to include um, maybe various funds that we look at, similar to what uh, OSMA is doing, uh, maybe ways to reinvest uh, and encourage through payments. All of these things are being kicked around. But I would expect, I hope this session, if not, it may even be next session. This is such an ambitious goal. But a full wraparound program uh, really targeting um, rural health care. And, and I will tell you, I, I'm in it from the other end. So what, what do I care? I'm the Oklahoma City guy. So I'm the guy that's always fighting for that's great. Let's invert. Let's encourage. Um, let's encourage and make sure that we have rural health care. Well, at the same time, I'm fighting for getting the tax exemption for OU's hospital here locally. And I'm sitting down with OU's hospital and saying, what I want you to do is find the best specialists in the world and bring them here to Oklahoma City. I want to be able to have my neurosurgery, if I need it, right here in Oklahoma City. I want to have, when my mother had um, breast cancer, we could have gone anywhere. And we, we went down to MD Anderson in Houston, and then we chose to have all of our all of our, um, uh, I should are, but my mother's uh, treatments done at the Stevenson Cancer Center right here in Oklahoma City because we had incredible doctors and we have those. So, doctor, my thought is that that again, I love the rural health care piece we talk about a lot as the Oklahoma City guy. I'm still looking at more ways though to make sure we can bring in more specialists, more of the best and brightest, right here too. So, because uh, I don't want my my niece, Katie, who I ran the CBD bill for, her initial, her first pediatric neurologist, she had to go to Fort Worth. She doesn't have to do that anymore. We have pediatric neurology in Oklahoma City. Not only do we have pediatric neurology in Oklahoma now, we have choices. I mean, we, we, we have the ability to go to several specialties here. Um, what the OSMA is doing, and, and again, I'm using your phrase, but I've started using it because I like it, the House of Medicine. had a constituent use it the other day. But what the House of Medicine is doing is is both concentrating on the rural side, which is incredibly important, but getting those stronger those stronger doctors and those specialties in the metro areas. Um, because I tell you what, I don't want Oklahoma City to be a top fifty city. Governor Stitt talks about a top ten state. I want Oklahoma City to be a top ten city, and that requires that hospital the speaker's talking about. Well, you know what? If you want to be a top ten top ten city, you got to be top ten state of the art hospital, state of the art physicians in your metro areas where you where you keep people here. You you, I mean, I would love for for executive style physicals to start showing. I'd love I'd love Oklahoma City to have its own Cooper Clinic, uh, to have its own what they do at the Mayo. I mean, to have that for those to start popping up and and I, so you're I guess you're kind of seeing my passion in this. I love the rural stuff. I'm gonna be for it. But I'm going to be the guy fighting to make sure the city gets their specialties too. And, and I agree. Uh, we want medicine and healthcare throughout the state to be elevated so that we do become a top 10 state and a top 10 city uh, in health outcomes. Yeah. And State Medical Association is certainly putting its money as well as its voice. And we want to be the voice for the House of Medicine throughout the state. Um, I'm going to move on to non-health care at this point for a moment. 
Um, there was a state question, 805, that um, the Supreme Court has uh, thrown out, and a new state question, which I think is 812, I'm not sure, um, about redistricting uh, and changing it, taking it away from the legislature and having a um, basically a bipartisan board do redistricting. How do you feel about that, and do you think redistricting is going to occur in the coming year? So redistricting for sure will occur in, in uh, three years from now after we have our census. We'll have our redistricting. Now, I'm going to get partisan for a second. Um, I think the redistricting petition, uh, well, I don't think I know, is a power grab by Barack Obama and Eric Holder. They're doing the exact same thing in five conservative states, and I would be for an independent redistricting petition. Uh, uh, an independent redistricting uh, group, but this is not that. If you read the state question, what it does is give 100% of the power to the Chief Justice of the Oklahoma Supreme Court. Um, This is not a knock on the Chief Justice of the Oklahoma Supreme Court, who is a friend of mine, who I think does a great job, but I believe that absolute power, that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, And I always push back when they call this uh, a nonpartisan or an independent because it couldn't be any far- further from it. It lets the chief justice of the Supreme Court pick 10 retired judges who then pick the people that draw the maps. And this is ridiculous. Every state in the union, except for Colorado, has a similar one. Every other state that has an independent redistricting commission has rejected such an absurd idea. And on top of that, there's a reason they didn't roll this out um, for public consumption beforehand, and they keep calling it independent. Now, if we would like to have a discussion, and I've said this over and over again, if we want to have a true independent commission, um, I would be for that. Uh, if you look at the House map, last time there were only three votes in the House map, uh, three no votes. Everyone else voted for it. It was a bipartisan map. Senate map admittedly got a little sketchier. There were, there were some issues there. I'm not going to say there wasn't. Um, I just wish we could have a real live conversation about how we're going to do redistricting in this state. Um, And again, remember, under a current system, when the legislature draws it, if we get it wrong, we have a check. That check is the Oklahoma Supreme Court. If we get it wrong, they get their say. So it would make one wonder why, if you already have that check, why would you give all of the power to one individual on the Supreme Court as a and as opposed to spreading it out, which is what every state is doing, I would argue. I mean, it's because but Barack Obama and Eric Holder, who are funding this, know exactly what they're doing, and it's it's a partisan power grab. And uh, I hope the citizens aren't fooled, um, and I hope they read the petition. So that's why I always push back. So my your question is, do I like court redistricting? No, I think it's a bad idea. Uh, but uh, we'll see if they get the signatures. It'll go on the ballot, and the the citizens will decide. I have said. If we're going to allow the court redistricting, though, then I do think I have been a strong proponent of not politicizing the court, uh, not having the court do a political function. If we would be the only state in the nation that actually exclusively gives it to one individual on the court, we do need to consider whether or not that needs to be an elected position. Um, I, I would change my opinion on how whether or not we should elect our judges if we decide we want it to be political, I've never wanted the court to be political. I've, I've always wanted it to be a, a truly independent body and not engage in a political process. I don't want a court to be looking at 
what you do when you draw map ethnic demographics to make sure that you have uh, minority majority districts, which required by the uh, United States Supreme Court, uh, trying to get a, a proper voter mix uh, when you're doing this in a bipartisan manner uh, with Democrats and Republicans. This is just the antithesis of what I always wanted the court to do. Um, I honestly would rather give it to the two parties and the Libertarian Party before I would I would you know besmirch the court. Um, but if not, we do need to look at whether or not the court should be elected if we're going to make it political. Well, I think that's something that there's going to be a lot of discussion on coming uh, in the near future um, if the Supreme Court lets this state question go forward. Um, in December, the federal government passed um, a new age requirement for tobacco products of 21 is the state legislature looking at any changes? And specifically, does the 21-year age uh, requirement fall on the tribal lands as well? You know, the tribal lands is a great question. And uh, I'm not sure I know the answer to that one. I, I would have to look into it. Uh, but I will say this, though. I think the legislature, uh, I, I think we, we will pass it next year. If we don't, uh, we look at the possibility of losing our highway funding. Uh, if we don't raise that to 21 for state law, pro tem, uh, Harold Wright in the House has a bill that does that. I anticipate moving it quickly. Um, we, we have the legislature, in my opinion, doesn't have a lot of options uh, as it relates to this. And I think uh, saying no, because I get calls one way or another, either please raise the, the age or, or don't you dare. Um, the reality is at this point, the legislature has got a gun to its head. And if we don't, we will lose federal highway funding and that's far worse for us. Uh, so I anticipate us just moving it quickly. Uh, I, th I hope it gets out of rules next week in the House. I talked to the pro tem. Uh, he's working on his bill. So on one of these things that we know we're going to have to do and it's going to be a little controversial, I'm of the opinion you just do them and you get them done. Um, and and uh, what's the old adage? If you're going to kiss frog, you might as well kiss. It doesn't get any prettier the longer you look at it. So let's just do it and move on. And, and uh, I think we'll do it quickly. Apropos for Oklahoma. That's right. <laughs> um, the last question I have is a lot of controversy over our four-day school weeks. Um, there's been a bill to basically uh, curtail or at least restrict four-day school weeks. I know in my line of work, we've recruited physicians who say, I'm not coming to Oklahoma. I don't want my children uh, to go where there's a four-day school week. Is the legislature going to take this up, and do you think anything will happen? You know, four-day school weeks, definitely. I'm glad you pointed that out, Doctor, because we're getting some pushback now of people saying, oh, it's not true that that the four-day school weeks are a stain on the state. It absolutely is true. And and when you tell the story that, you know, you've recruited physicians who are concerned about that, um, you know, the summer slide is real. It's important to note, though, the legislation didn't even outlaw four-day school weeks. It says you have to go 165 days a year or 163 days a year, and that's total. That includes parent-teacher conference days. That took us from second to last in the nation in required number of days to second to last in the nation in required number of days. This was not this massive of a jump. So if a school district wants to continue to go four days, go four days. But they're going to have to go a certain amount of days to avoid that summer slide. Now, the rules that the Department of Education came out with, 
They're a little bit stringent. I'll admit that. I think if you're educating children within your four days, state needs to back off. If, if you're getting it done, we'll let you do it. But what I haven't heard on the rules, because that's the real controversy, will we, apply the, will we allow the rules? I want to see some alternatives. I want to see because I don't want to back up from the, from the progress that we've made. I don't want to back up and make it easier to go back to the four-day school weeks. Uh, I would like – but I am okay – if school districts are doing it and kids are still being educated, and by educated I mean they're, they're, they're specifically their ACT scores, which I think we should be going by because it's standardized, it's nationwide, uh, we have a way to do it. Because at the end of the day, doctor, you and I have talked about this, and anyone's heard me talk. For me, education is about children. We spend so much time talking about schools, we're talking about superintendents, we're talking about teachers, we talk about every, we're talking about districts, everyone but kids. What I'm concerned about is our kids getting educated. And unfortunately, the summer slide is real. And these long breaks in between time, you want to go four days? Go four days. You're just going to have to go longer so we don't have these long breaks with kids. So I don't think the legislature is going to back up. Um, I Will there be some tweaks in the rules? Probably because I think they are a little harsh. I think they're harder than they – I think only like 5% of the districts in the state of Oklahoma could have qualified with some exemptions. Seems a little harsh. I'll be the first to admit that. Uh, but no, I, I don't think we're going to back up. And I don't think we're going to back up. I'll give you a secondary thought. I don't think we're going to back up on our commitment to education. I think we're going to continue to fund education. And on top of that, this is the last plug, and then I know we got to go. Uh, I think we're going to do what Governor Stitt said and President Trump said, and we're going to pass the we're going to raise the cap on the Equal Opportunity Scholarship Tax Credit, which gives fifteen million dollars to public schools and fifteen million dollars to uh, ta- to scholarships for low income students. Why? Because for me, education is all about students. It's not about nobody else. It's about students. Well, and I would add that I agree with you that standardized testing. But I would add that not just ACT, which is for seniors in high school or juniors and seniors, but starting even as low as fifth grade, showing improvement in standardized testing. Programs are only as good as the metrics that you use to measure the outcomes. And if we're not using standardized testing, I don't know what we are using. And I know at least the last statistics I showed said that Oklahoma was still below the national average so that we have to improve the education of our students, whether it's through four-day school weeks or six-day school weeks. Again, I don't think that's what's important. It's the outcomes that are important. Spoken like a true scientist, doctor, and I agree with you. That's well said. I want to thank Representative Eccles for being on this podcast with me today. I hope this has been informative to everybody. Um, I look forward to the next time that we can talk with the Oklahoma State Medical Association as the voice of health in Oklahoma. Learn more at okmed.org and on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Have a question for Dr. Bookman? Email him at osmatalks at okmed.org. Okay